Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Ave Geese podcast. I'm Flight Corporal Jack Anderson, and I'm here with Flight Corporal Aiden Paul. How's it going? And Flight Corporal Madeline McConnell. Hi, everyone. And we are going to be your hosts. So for this week, we have um, a pretty interesting topic. We're going to be talking about commercial supersonic aircraft. You might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I have seen this one before. This seems so familiar. That is because back in season one, we actually did an episode about this. And funnily enough, in that episode, we said, it's unlikely that we will ever see supersonic commercial air travel again. About a month or two after that, United Airlines posted a video announcing their intention to buy a whole bunch of supersonic commercial aircraft. So we are big enough to admit when we're wrong, and let's make a video explaining how that's going to work. Sorry, not a video, an episode explaining how that is all going to work. All right, let's do this. Yeah, I'm, I have to admit, I'm very excited. I've watched that video easily 30 times. It's only one minute, yet it is a lot more exciting than a lot of TV shows I've seen, which is kind of exciting and sad to say at the same time. <laughs> um, right, so first... United Airlines has promised that the new aircraft they'll be buying will cut travel times in half. So it's going to be very similar to the Concorde, which we saw back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, which could cut the flight across the Atlantic to about three and a half hours. Um, Interestingly, they've also promised to use a new sustainable fuel that ensures net zero carbon emissions. So they're promising that this is going to be a very environmentally friendly aircraft. Now, they haven't actually explained how that fuel is going to work or what it's made of or anything like that. So I think it is pretty fair at this time to be skeptical of that. Um, Yeah, I I really don't know how they're going to pull that off. I've been thinking, I don't know how you can get fuel to be net zero carbon emissions. It it just doesn't make sense to me. Who knows? Maybe they figured out a way to make it electric. I mean, electric planes, we don't even see those flying yet. Uh, I would really hate to see a supersonic electric aircraft. That, that seems like it would fall apart the second they hit the sound barrier. But they have also advertised some of the routes that are going to be available, and they're pretty interesting. They're, of course, New York to London, which we've already seen on Concord. But one we didn't see was New York to Frankfurt. Then another one was San Francisco to Tokyo. So we can already tell that this one's going to have a much longer range than the Concorde because the Concorde could really only fly uh, across the Atlantic. This one, it seems, is going to be flying across the Pacific. So it could be doing longer routes like L.A. to Sydney, uh, San Francisco to Tokyo, as we just said. But that would really help because these are the longest routes in the world. Like um, L.A. to Sydney, I'm pretty sure that's uh, about 15 or so hours, maybe uh, 16 but they're promising so, that that's going to be a six-hour flight on this new Concorde. Um, if I'm, if I may add, remember this is correct. A flight from NYC to Sydney on a on an A380 is, I think, about what was it, twenty hours? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, twenty hours. So you're essentially in the air for a full day. You're just shy of being in the air for a full day, which is insane. But on this plane, that could be cut down to six hours which I never thought we would say was a short flight, but compared to 20 hours, yeah, that is a very short flight. Oh, yeah. So finally, and probably craziest of all, 
they have promised that they're going to have this done by 2029. That's got to be the craziest part of, it, of all this. That is. That truly is the insane part. And that makes us look like even more of idiots because we said last time, we're probably never going to see it again in our lifetime. And now they're saying they're going to have it done before the end of the decade. Yeah, we really, we really screwed up on that one. But oh yeah, like that that is a good thing though that they're bringing back supersonic air travel. That's going to be exciting. Right now, again though, twenty twenty nine. That's that's not that's not close. I mean, sure, that's that's fast in the grand scheme of things. Like that's within this decade, but still, that's that's a few years off. That's eight years off now. I had to think about that one. Yeah, well, um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, in terms of R&D for aircraft, that is a very, very short amount of time. Like the F-35 was in R&D for like, what, 40 years? In fairness, though, they started this back in 2014. So hmm. that's, God, I hate math. Um, about 15 years? 15 years, yeah, that, that sounds about right. 15 years. So 15 years in development, but still 2029, that is incredibly quick. Yeah. Now, what do we know about the aircraft itself? So the aircraft that is currently being developed for United is called the Overture, and it's made by a company called Boom. Now, the Overture will have a passenger capacity of about 65 or 80, somewhere in between there. You'll have a range of 4,250 nautical miles, top speed of Mach 1.7, and a cruising altitude of 60,000 feet, which will provide stratospheric views. Now, the reason I bring up those stratospheric views is because that is so high that you can actually see the curvature of the Earth. So if you're a flat Earther, just wait a few years and fly in this plane. We'll finally be able to prove you wrong. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a million other ways you can prove a flat Earther wrong, but sometimes they just don't want to listen to what you have to say. So when this plane comes out, buy him a ticket, show him that the Earth is round. Pretty sure 60,000 feet. That was about the same altitude as the U-2 spy plane would fly. Maris was correct. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was slightly above that. Um, but yes, you're going to be flying 10,000 feet below where U-2 flies, which again is pretty insane because that was 50 years ago. That was the highest flying plane. And now some other random commercial plane reaches that no problem. Right. It's absolutely crazy. Now, another interesting thing is that the designs that I got from Boom's website show that it will be an entirely business class cabin and will be built with passenger comfort in mind. So this is a lot different than Concorde because, well, it's weird. Concorde, it said it was going to be first class, but it is more like premium economy. Though, again, back in the 70s, that was, that was considered good. Premium economy was their first class, but... That also means it's going to be really expensive and not a lot of people are going to be able to fly on this. Right. Um, is, yeah, so that means like uh, not like the common Joe is going to be able to fly on this. It's going to be all the rich people, like again, like it was with the Concorde. So I know it sounds amazing. We're all getting excited for this, but we should just sort of hold our horses. We, we're probably not going to be able to ride on this thing unless we win the lottery or something. Only the rich folk can go from New York to city in six hours. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, just quickly, we want to talk about how this aircraft will be different from the Concorde, because that is very important to understanding how this will fail, how it won't fail, like if it'll actually work. So 
Uh, Flight Corporal McConnell, would you like to explain some of the major differences between the two aircraft? Of course. So the greatest flaw with the Concorde was its opening price, which was largely a result of fuel efficiency. The current proposal is showing that Boom's plane will be 30% more efficient than the Concorde. Uh, one of the ways that they are doing this is by making the aircraft narrower, which reduces the surface area, and this leads to less drag. The Overture also has a much larger range than the Concorde. One of the biggest problems with the Concorde was its range, which led it to be being exclusively used on transatlantic flights, which also wasn't helped by the fact that it was getting banned from flying over land. One of the largest reasons for these improvements is the use of computers. Back in the 70s, when the Concorde was being developed, it had been designed entirely on paper. Boom has the advantage of being able to use computers that are equipped with highly advanced design software. Yeah, so I just really quickly want to go back to something she said in there. It was, um, where was it? It was, these flights were banned from flying over land. A lot of people don't understand why that was done. They think, oh, well, it just goes through the sonic boom once and then it's over with. That's actually not true. Um, so the way a sonic boom works is as the aircraft tears through the sky, it's breaking through the speed of sound. So it's continuously like making a sonic boom. So we only perceive it as one sonic boom, or we actually hear two when it goes through the speed of sound, but every single person along the flight path would be hearing that sonic boom. And to give a perspective of how loud that is, back in 2015, there was a float plane in Seattle. It flew close, to, uh, sorry, it flew too close to where Obama was and they scrambled fighter jets to go and intercept it, see what was going on. And when they broke the sound barrier over Seattle, it rattled buildings and it could actually be heard as far away as Southern Washington state. So it could essentially be heard in the entire state of Washington, which is a pretty big place. And apparently for minutes after that happened, there were dozens of 911 calls from people all over saying that they heard gunshots that is how loud it is. In fact, it has been compared to holding a chainsaw next to your head, which I think anyone here who's worked with power tools will know exactly how loud one of those things is. So just imagine that flying across the country like uh, three or four times a week. That would get pretty annoying pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so it's likely that these aircraft won't be flying over land. So you're not going to see any New York to LA or New York to San Francisco routes. However, the, the big thing is that you are going to be seeing Trans-Pacific routes. So the Concorde, it was very limited in that it could only fly across the Atlantic. Um, that really meant it could only fly uh, New York to London, New York to Paris. With this, it's going to have a much greater range in what it can do. So yeah, there's no way this thing is going to be allowed to fly over land, but it is still going to be extremely useful. Right. Now, I think another very big question that we have to ask is, would people really want to fly on it? So like we've all said, we want to fly on a supersonic aircraft, but that's, we're saying it because it's a gimmick. Like it's, it's fun to fly above the speed of sound. It's something that you're probably never going to get to do anywhere else. But is it going to be uh, attractive for the common businessman? 
like uh, or even like the regular tourist, are they actually going to want to fly on this plane compared to a much cheaper, slower aircraft? And that is a very hard question. And right now it's actually unclear. So in a lot of cases, you can tell whether an aircraft is going to be successful before launch. This one, it is very unclear because with Concorde, sure, there were quite a few people who wanted to fly on it, but there weren't enough people who had the money to spend on it, or there were a lot of people who preferred comfort over speed. And that is, that's a very big thing. So in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when the Concorde flew, it appealed mostly to business travelers. The reason they did this was because pretty much any time you were on an airplane, it was wasted time. You couldn't work while you were on there. However, a lot of planes now have um, business class seats that can recline into beds and onboard Wi-Fi. So that means if you take an evening flight from Toronto to Paris, you can sleep while you're on the plane and then you wake up with very little jet lag having a full night's rest. Um, also with in-flight in Wi-Fi, that means you can do a lot of work. So it's not just like you're trapped there for seven or eight hours and you can't do anything. You can only like read the paper or watch a movie. Now you can actually get work done. So that begs the question, do we really need faster aircraft? I mean, who's really going to want to fly on it? Right. Now, despite all of these big concerns, Boom does have one major advantage, and that is that the Concorde failed. This sounds like a weird thing, but because of this failure, they can learn from its mistakes. One thing that I was reading the other day is that the Concorde actually did start turning a profit right at the end of its service life. And apparently the reason for this was that they changed up the way it was priced and uh, the people that were trying to attract onto their flights because they wanted as many as they could on the last days. But if they had done that for its entire time, there's a very good chance it would have been successful. So I think the employees over at Boom have seen this and they're going to work with uh, the Overture more on this. They're going to make it cheaper uh, and they're going to make it more convenient for people. Now, with uh, over 10 years left in the development process or around about that, because let's be completely honest, they're saying 2029. I am not buying that for a second. I'm oh, guessing yeah. they're going to be pushed back into the 2030s. Uh, 2029 40s, yeah. is, well, yeah, that's when they're saying they're going to release it. So even if they release it on schedule, I mean, are we really going to be seeing these widespread? There's going to be like maybe 10 of them in the whole world at first. Right. Like I'm, I'm saying maybe by the 2030s, 2040s, yeah, this could become the new super planes. Like you see them everywhere, sort of like um, how the 747 was back in the uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're going to be seeing that. Um, but with 10 years left in the development process, I think it's safe to assume that Boom will find a way to address these problems. And I honestly think that the Overture will be a great success. So there's a lot of problems facing them. They have a lot of things to overcome, but I think they can definitely learn from what the Concorde taught them. All right, and with that said, that is all of our time for tonight. We'd like to thank you again for listening to the Ave Geeks podcast. Goodbye, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one.